Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the Essential Tennis Podcast is brought to you by SomersetSportsPerformance.com. Before we get to today's instructional questions on the show, I'd like to just make, make two quick announcements. First of all, I'm very happy to announce that I finally launched a video section of EssentialTennis.com, and you guys are going to want to check this out immediately. I'm really happy to finally get some video out there, and I plan on keeping up with this and putting out a lot of content for you guys. It's 100% free at the moment, so definitely go take advantage of it, and you can check that out at EssentialTennis.com slash video. Secondly, before we get started, you guys have heard me talk about the clinic in Palm Springs, California, and it's definitely going to be a go, and I'm excited about that clinic. It's going to be a great time. There's still spots open, and this is the last time I'm going to offer them. And the dates on this are January 2nd and 3rd, Saturday and Sunday in Palm Springs. The price is $350 for two days of instruction with hotel room included. This is a, a really excellent deal. It, it really is for two full days of instruction. And currently there's only seven people signed up. So if you'd like some one-on-one -on -one instruction and attention from myself, if you want to improve your tennis game and travel and, and be in a wonderful place in the middle of, of the winter as well at the same time, definitely send me an email and let me know if you're interested. And you can let me know at ian, I-A-N, at EssentialTennis.com. All right, let's get down to business, sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. All right, so let's get started with today's show, and we're going to kick things off with a question from Ashley in Australia, who says that she's a 4.5 level player. She wrote to me and said, here's my question. Do you think there is any etiquette involved once a rally has started? As in, do you think that there are things you should or shouldn't do during a rally? I'm not talking about waving your arms around or making noise, etc., but about gameplay. Here is my example. I was recently playing doubles in a doubles final, and our opponents were better than we were, one of them in particular. Our, deci our decision, therefore, was to keep the ball away from this guy as much as possible. The result was we looked like we were tubbing this guy by smacking balls down the line at him continually. If a lob went up, it was in his direction. If we were both at the net, we drilled him. We got some funny looks for this sort of tactic. I've played a lot of tennis in my time, but have never specifically set out to target a player in this fashion. Do you think this is a legitimate means of winning, or is it poor etiquette? The same thing goes for mixed doubles. I was playing a match, and... Then the opposition male, uh, the, the um, opponent male, felt quite comfortable smashing forehands than the female at the net. Is this a breach of etiquette or an acceptable form of winning, Ashley? Well, that's a good question, Ashley. And there's, there's kind of two different kinds of, of tennis players, recreational tennis players. 
not everybody has the ability to play at a tennis club where they're a member and, you know, nice facilities, etc. Um, some people have to play at public facilities, public courts, and it's it's just kind of playground rules out there. There's not really a whole lot of etiquette involved. Not you know, not I'm not slighting people who only play at public courts in the least. However, when you get when you get involved in a club with different members and different groups of people, kind of politics comes into play. And so it it just kind of depends on what type of tennis you're playing. And there's going to be basically one of two scenarios that you're going to find yourself in. And you have to make a decision for yourself which of these two situations or scenarios that you're in when you're playing your tennis match and what's most important for you in the scenario that you're in. So let me describe these. The, the first scenario is the club play or social play. And this is where the number one priority really for everybody on the court is just to be there for enjoyment to get some exercise, to have some social interaction, to just have a good time and, you know, fill their time a little bit during the day with something enjoyable. And in this setting, nobody should really be singled out exclusively or picked on. And there is a little bit of etiquette involved here because everybody's there just to have a good time. And this is just kind of a, a style or a, a flavor of tennis if you will. And this happens at every club across the country and across the world. Ashley is in Australia, and I've never played tennis at a club in Australia, but I'm going to go ahead and assume that it's it's very similar to here in that people join a tennis club for relaxation and for recreation. And so in this kind of scenario or setting, no, I, I would say it's kind of looked down upon to be super competitive and and by the way, what you did in your match that you're describing was great tactics. It was good strategy. However, if this was during a social match, you know, just a, a weekly kind of game at your local club, then yes, I can understand why people would look down upon that tactic. And last thing I'm going to say about this specific scenario is that the best player on the court really bears some responsibility to make things close and fun and once in a while at the club where I teach, somebody won't show up for their doubles group and I go out and, and fill in and, you know, it's it's my job to just make things even, make things fun. You know, my side of the court is still going to win, <laughs> but I'm not going out there to, you know, flex my muscles and, and prove that I'm the best, you know, etc. It's It's my job to make sure that the points last as long as possible and, and everybody has a good time. And so if you're in that kind of environment in club play, then that that should be your goal is to just have fun and make sure everybody on the court has fun. Now, the second scenario is tournament or competitive play. And when you're talking about entering a tournament where everybody has entered for the same reason, and that is to compete and to kind of judge and compare yourself to other players, the number one priority is to win, period. That's why you're there, and that's why everybody else is there, is to win, is to go out and compete. And the purpose in competing, is, the number one purpose, is to try to, win, is try to win your match and win every point possible. So any and all tactics here are completely fair game, assuming that they're within the guidelines of the rules of tennis, of course. And 
and you talked about you know waving your arms or making noises or trying to distract your opponents on purpose. No, that, that's obviously not fair play. That's against the rules. And so I'm not I'm not saying that's okay at all. It's not. However, anything with within the rules of tennis that you can use to your advantage is completely fair game. All the players on the court signed up to play their best and to be challenged. And really, by by holding back and not playing a winning strategy, you're you're kind of insulting them. And, and don't do that. Don't, don't be nice and and you know try to be uh, <laughs> try to be too political and and try to make everybody happy in this scenario because everybody's there for the same reason, and that's to try to win. So in, in this setting, no, it wouldn't be appropriate to to hold back. And if you get funny looks in this setting where it's it's competitive and everybody's trying to win, well, these people are not very mature tennis players. They're not very mature competitors, and they're kind of missing the point. And, and so I, I think you absolutely did the right thing if this was in a competitive environment. There's only one exception to this, in my opinion, and that would be if both of the players that you're playing against, you and your doubles partner, if both players that you guys are playing against are just not even close to your level and they're just completely outclassed and it's obvious that you and your partner are much stronger, then in that scenario, I would say be a good sport and don't embarrass them completely and go way out of your way to win literally every single point. If it's obvious you're going to win no matter what, then in that scenario, I would say be a good sport. Don't, you know, don't overdo it and don't, uh, don't embarrass them. <laughs> Uh, but even then, they, they do need to be taught a lesson, and they need to know that they were not signed up for the right event, they're not in the right place, and so you should beat them soundly, but I would not go way out of your way and take it super seriously and get a golden set you know, in, in both sets. That shouldn't really be your, your goal, is to, is to completely uh, put somebody down emotionally and physically. But on the other hand, if they signed up for the tournament, they're putting themselves in that position. So they should know that they were not in the right place <laughs> and they should sign up for the lower class next time or low, lower level or, you know, et cetera. But that's my answer for you, Ashley, and hopefully that makes sense. So it depends on, on, the, on the setting. Is it club play? Is it social play? Or is it tournament slash competitive play? You need to figure out which of those two environments you're in and figure out what's most important to you. Is the improvement of your own game more important than everybody else on the court being happy? And if it is, then go out and do whatever it takes to win every single point. If it's more important to you that the other people on the court leave happy and you guys are all friends and, and you want to you know, be cordial and uh, you, know, you, you want to keep everybody happy, if that's more important to you, then you need to play accordingly. Um, so it's kind of up to you and it depends on the situation you're in but Ashley thanks very much for your question and let me know if you have anything further on that hopefully that makes sense alright next up we've got a series of questions from James Northcott in the UK and he's got a couple of questions about using a ball machine for your practice play and a lot of really good questions here. I'm looking forward to this topic. His first question was, I recently acquired a ball machine and wondered if you could offer some help with how, with how I might use it to its full potential. I am practicing with it for about 5 to 15 hours per week 
and I'm trying very hard to keep my practice sessions as structured as I can. For example, I usually spend equal time on my forehand and backhand, aim for specific areas on the courts, and try to achieve specific goals. As an example, 10 shots deep cross courts in a row. Well, let me stop right there and congratulate you, James, because you've really got the right idea here right off the bat. And this is something that bothers me a lot in in watching players try to use a ball machine where I teach and at every club where I've taught. A lot of players waste their time. And you're doing an excellent job with the basics here. So many people go out with the ball machine and they just hit shots. I mean, literally. I mean, literally. And it, sure, that sounds obvious, but they're wasting their time because they're just swinging at the ball. Whatever happens to come, they have no target. They have no purpose. They're they're just hitting shots, and and they're not focused at all. There, there's no goal, and there's no target or, or purpose. They waste their time. And even worse than that, they're furthering and graining bad habits. So I, I I just wanted to stop right there and say cheers on, on starting off with such great habits to begin with. And I really want you to keep that up. Now, here's his first question. He says, I'm also trying to practice as many different shots as possible, such as lobs, volleys, overheads, half volleys, etc., However, I'm not really sure what proportion of my time I should devote to some of these maybe less frequently used shots. Well, that's a good question, James. And I would say that the answer to that question kind of depends on your skill level and your specific skills, where you're at in your tennis game. And I'm going to be, throughout several answers here to James's questions, I'm going to be giving some ratios. And these are just general guidelines. I'm not saying that my feedback here has to be exactly perfect or, or precisely followed, but I'm going to give you guys some some general guidelines and my, my reasons why. And James, ultimately, it's, it's going to be up to you to decide how much time to spend on each type of shot. But basically, and again, this depends on your skill level, what percentage of time you should spend with kind of more um, extra shots, like you know, like the lobs, the overheads, the half volleys, etc. And in my opinion, the lower level player you are, the more time you should be spending on just your basic essentials. And what I mean by that are ground strokes, volleys, and serves. You've got to be competent in at least those three shots to really go out and enjoy tennis at its fullest, or, or at least get started. If you've got a big hole in your ground strokes, if your backhand ground stroke is just terrible, or if you're just not comfortable with the net at all, or if you're always worried that you're going to double fault and you're not confident with your serves, those are three the three biggest areas of your game that you've got to get comfortable with as early as possible. So if you're a three, if, if you're at a three point five level or below, and if you're not familiar with the NTRP rating system here in the U.S. Basically, an average level player is right around a 3.5 level. So if you're an average level player or below, then in my opinion, you should really be spending 90% of your time on the basics, ground strokes, volleys, and serves. If you're above that level, and especially well above that level, uh, if you're an upper level player, if you're a 4.0 or above, you know, if you're a 4.5, then you do want to start working on those 
other shots besides the basics, shots that you're, you're going to have to know how to use at a four or five level. If you don't have a good half volley or overhead or lob, you're not going to do very well at a 4.5 level of doubles or, or even of singles, more so in doubles. You kind of need these, these extra utility shots. So if you're above average, if you're a 4.0 player or better, then I would say you should be going about 70-30 or so, or so, still spending most of your time improving the, the basics, your ground strokes, volleys, and serves, but spend 30% of your time on other stuff as well. Shots that you've noticed that in the middle of your point play in doubles or singles, uh, you kind of notice, wow, I, that's a shot that I miss pretty often. If I could make that shot, I, I'd really be in a lot more points. I, I wouldn't lose so many points when I'm in this situation. So you kind of need to do some detective work and figure out which of these utility shots is really going to help you out the most. And then, yeah, definitely spend some time on it if you're above average level. So it depends on your on your ability level. That's That's my answer to that. Next up, he asks, also, would I be better off working on my bad shots or good shots? That's an awesome question. And yeah, you're smart to be wondering about how to split up your time, both in the essential strokes and more utility strokes, and, and now between your strengths and weaknesses. It, it's important to do both. It, and typically, I see players, when they are a little more focused, and they're actually working on specific things, which you're already starting to do, which is awesome. A lot of times people make one of two basic mistakes. They ignore their weaknesses because hitting what you're already good at is, is a lot more fun. <laughs> if you're really good at forehand ground strokes, it's really fun to take a half an hour and just crush forehands over and over and over. And you know it feels good because you're being successful. You're hitting your target over and over again. You're hitting a, you know, a, an aggressive strong shot and it, it feels confident. And and that's a lot more fun. And it's a common mistake for people to go and work on their strength and spend all their time doing that because it's not nearly as much fun working at what you're not good at. And so people a lot of times will shy away from their weakness and it just keeps getting weaker and weaker compared to the stronger parts of their game. So don't make that mistake. Also, don't make the mistake of ignoring your strengths because maybe you're a bit of a perfectionist about improving your weaknesses. And this is the other kind of side of the spectrum. Somebody who says, well, my forehand ground stroke is awesome. I don't need to work on that. And then they spend all of their time on their backhand because their backhand is weak. And a couple of weeks or months later, their backhand is a lot better, but they're not nearly as confident with their forehand anymore because they haven't spent any time practicing it. So it's important to work on both what you're good at already and, and make sure that you keep up with that. But yes, you do need to work on your weaknesses as well. That's very important. Now, I'm going to give you a, a ratio again based on your level. If you're a beginner on up through an average player, if you're a 3.0, I'm sorry, 3.5 level player or below, I would suggest 60-40 or 70-30 towards spending a little bit more time on your weaknesses. It's really important to bring the level of your game up evenly so that you don't have any big holes. And so I would I would suggest definitely spending time on both, but I'd like to see you spend a little bit more time on what you're weaker at to hopefully even your game out and but but do do try to improve everything uh for sure. Spend some time on both your strengths and weaknesses, but spend a little bit more time on your weaknesses. So 60/40 or maybe 70/30. 
Now, if you're a 4.0 level or above, I would really suggest evening it out and making it about 50-50. Spend equal amounts of time continuing to be confident and and be good at your strengths and definitely spend a, a lot of your time working on your weaknesses as well because everything needs to continue to improve if you want to move up another level again from where you're at already in a more advanced level, like a 4.0 or a 4.5. If you're a 4.5 level player now, it's really going to take everything. Everything's going to really have to move up a, a whole nother level to really bump up to a 5.0. So we don't want to leave anything behind. So I, at that point, I would really suggest spending about 50-50. All right, next ball machine, ball machine question is my other uncertainty is which speed settings to use. I usually go for about 45 or 50 miles per hour and medium heavy topspin, which I am comfortable with and seems to simulate my normal play. Would I be better off using higher, more difficult speeds or working at lower speeds in order to groove technique? Well, that's a good question, James. And I think most of your time should be hitting against the speed that you see most in competition. And that's really where you want to be most comfortable is at your level of play. So I, I would definitely suggest spending most of your time there. But if you want to spend some time and challenge yourself more and kind of give yourself a look at the next level of play, I think that's good too. And so again, I'll give you a ratio here. I, I think in my opinion, you should probably be about 80-20. Don't spend half of your time uh, get, getting shots from the ball machine that are way outside the level that you typically see. I don't think that's a good use of your time. But if you do want to spend some time kind of having some fun and, and trying to really challenge yourself and, and try to return shots that are a really high level above what you normally see, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, it's probably going to be helpful for you down the road when you start facing higher level opponents. So I would say about 80-20. So spend about 80% of your time at least on just hitting shots that you normally would have to in competition because that's really where you want to be most comfortable and confident. Uh, but go ahead and, and have some fun and, and bump it up a little bit too. And last ball machine question here. Finally, do you have any specific ball machine drills that would be of benefit? And my answer to that is no, <laughs> I don't. And the, the ball machine is such a useful tool, guys. And you should be using the ball machine to pick out specific things for your game that you need to work on. And so this totally depends on what you're trying to improve, James. And you've already got the right idea. You're, you're already so much farther ahead than most players when it comes to utilizing the ball machine. So I, I just want you to keep up what you're doing. No, I don't have anything specific. I mean, specific for what? I, I could give you uh, 10 ball machine drills for every single stroke, forehand, backhand, volley, half volley, you know, overhead, return to serve, whatever. Um, so I could, you know, be way too much time to go into specifics. Uh, so what I'm going to tell you, what I'm going to tell you is that keep doing a good job of identifying what you do need to work on, your strengths and weaknesses, and split up the time in, in a in a good in a good way. That's really going to be the best use of your time. Uh, and continue doing a good job with things like having a target, having a goal, and just keeping your focus and concentration out there. And that's going to be the best use of your time. So. James, thanks very much. Really good questions, man. And uh, I'm really proud of you for how good of a job you're already doing with the ball machine. And you're really making good use of your time. And James said he's doing between 5 and 15 hours per week. 
on the ball machine. That's hardcore. Uh, you're, you're doing an awesome job, and, and definitely keep up the good work. Let me know if you have any more questions. Okay, the last question for today also comes to us from James, a different, different topic. And the topic is the art of disguise, as James put it. He says, this is something I know very little about, but a topic that I thought would make a very interesting podcast. I would be very interested to hear your thoughts on when and how to create disguise on various tennis shots. Good question, James. And I'm going to try to go through this pretty briefly and give you an idea of, of what I think about that. And I'm going to start off by telling you the three most often disguised shots and probably the most useful use of disguise in tennis. And when I say disguise, I mean legitimate disguise, meaning you're trying to show your opponents one thing and then do another. And so we're kind of got a little bit of trickery going on. Not something that I normally condone. <laughs> I'm going to talk more about that in a couple minutes. But the three most useful shots to disguise are, first of all, the drop shot. And I love this shot, personally, I have to admit. And I really like seeing the pros use this shot. And this is probably the number one disguised shot in tennis, definitely at the pro level. And you'll see them disguise this by setting up their body the way they normally would for a topspin drive, a shot that they would normally hit hard with a lot of spin. And this is typically done on a short, weaker shot that they're inside the baseline on. Otherwise, it's really not a smart play at all. But you'll see a player do this when they're inside the baseline. They turn their body, make a good full turn, bring the racket up like they're getting ready to crush it, and then open up the racket face, drop the racket, come underneath the ball, and hit a soft drop shot and hit it really short. This is probably the number one disguised shot you'll see used. And probably one of my favorites. And, you know, it doesn't always work for everybody all the time. In fact, I would I would say it doesn't have a terribly high success rate, even at the pros. But it's a lot of fun to hit when it does work. The second most often disguised shot is the lob. And a, kind of a similar setup when one player is at the nets and the other is at the baseline, maybe in doubles. And you'll see this disguised by, again, the player on the baseline taking the racket back and rotating their body like they're getting ready to really drive it. And then this is a little bit different technique. The, the face, again, will open and the ball gets lifted up. Or you can hit a topspin lob and keep your face closed and just swing upwards and really accentuate the upward swing to really hit the ball way up in the air and have it topspin down close to the baseline, hopefully, on the other side. But that's another shot that you can disguise and make it look like you're getting ready to drive the ball and hit it hard, but actually end up hitting it softly and either coming underneath the ball and opening your face or brushing the ball but brushing it way up into the air to try to hit it over your opponent at the net. And the third most often disguised shot and this is probably debatable, uh, depending on your definition of the word disguise, but the serve is very often disguised by good players. And when I, kind of a different use of disguise. It's not so much being tricky or sneaky or kind of showing one thing and doing another. It's not so much that as it is just really mixing it up and just really being versatile and maybe from the same toss is probably the best way to do it making the same toss, but being able to hit every part of the box from that same toss, or maybe even being able to hit every part of the box with different types of serves, both a spin serve and a flat serve from the, uh, from the same toss. That's a good way to disguise your serve and something that all of you guys can work on right now 
and something that I wouldn't say is, is trickery or trying to be sneaky. It's really something that's very practical that you guys should all be working on. Now, shots that you should not try to disguise. And again, I'm, when I say disguise, I'm using the definition of kind, kind of being sneaky or tricky or you know, trying to do a bait and switch on your opponent where you're showing one thing and then you do another. You should not be trying to disguise your ground strokes, meaning trying to set up and make it look like you're going cross court, but then go down the line at the last second or something like that. That's not something you should be trying to do. You should also not be trying to disguise or be tricky with your volleys. Um, these are shots that we don't want to be tricky or sneaky with. You want to be good and solid with your fundamentals and you should be practicing being intentional and being able to hit certain places on the court on purpose. And we're going to win most likely based on those types of shots where it doesn't matter who knows where you're going. It doesn't matter if your opponent knows so much of tennis tactics has nothing to do with being sneaky or crafty. But it's, it's just a matter of doing the fundamentals well and doing the fundamentals solid and doing them correctly over and over again. That is how you're going to win the majority of your matches. You're not going to win whole tennis matches based on being sneaky and disguising your shots. You're not going to win a whole match based on that. And so for that reason, I would be careful, James, and everybody else listening, how much you work on these types of shots. Uh, and you know what? They're they're fun. To, they're fun to hit. They're fun to work on. So I'm not going to say don't ever do it because I do it myself. <laughs> so it, it's not something that you should never work on. But I wouldn't spend a whole lot of your time trying to disguise shots and, and be sneaky. So James, that's my answer to that. And if you have any more further specific questions on that, or maybe on a specific one of those examples, uh, different strokes. Let me know, and I'd be happy to talk more about it. But those are my general thoughts and feelings. All right, that does it for this episode of the Essential Tennis Podcast. And isn't that fun, guys? We've done almost 100 episodes of the podcast, and all three of the topics today were completely new. We talked about disguise on shots, which we've never talked about before. We talked about competitive etiquette, and we also talked about using the ball machine as well. All three of those are completely new topics on the podcast, and just goes to show you guys, I mean, how deep the game of tennis is, and there's unlimited topics and things to talk about. That's part of why I enjoy this show so much. That's a big reason why I enjoy, enjoy the sport of tennis so much, and if you're listening to me right now, I know that you agree with me, and it's just a lot of fun to uh, to work together and, and continue to improve. And speaking of which, I've got a special shout-out today on the show, and my shout-out is to several players who have just gotten bumped up in their rating here in the United States, and we have a, a standardized rating system, the NTRP, and I'd like to give a shout-out to several forum members who have bumped up to the next level since being members at Essential Tennis, and I'm really proud of them. And there's more than the people I'm just about to announce. This this topic just got started in the forums at Essential Tennis, so I apologize to everybody in the forums who I'm not going to mention, but people who have uh, already posted there and said that they have moved up to a new level are Sally, Fight Fan, BB, Charles O, and also Atomic. 
These are all guys who have uh, people who have worked really hard and improved their game, and I'm really proud of you guys, and and really happy to have you as members on the forums. So excellent job, and if you are on the forums and you also got bumped up, make sure to go to the competitive results forum and post and and let us know if you got bumped up. So good job, guys. All right, that brings today's show to a close. Thank you very much for listening. Take care and good luck with your tennis. <laughs>